0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Been There, Do This podcast. In every episode, we will hear the stories of leaders who have found a way to integrate their passion into a better way to do business. I'm your host, Josh Joel, business and employment lawyer at Stanton Law. I'm so excited to introduce you to our Been There, Do This sponsor, Stanton Law. Since November, 2011, Stanton Law has sought to serve, advise and guide clients of all sizes in a practical and efficient way. Now in its second decade, Stanton Law continues to counsel individuals and companies on legal issues surrounding every scope of business. Whether you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or the CEO of a major organization, if you are ready to take your company to the next level, let Stanton Law provide business solutions to minimize your legal problems by visiting StantonLawLLC.com. That's StantonLawLLC.com. One of the things I love most about doing this podcast is the opportunity to talk to innovators and business leaders who are disrupting and doing things different. Today, I have with me Molly Dickinson and Marcy Sperry, co founders of Invincible Inc., which is a unique business partnership between Molly, who's a branding specialist at her company, Banner Day, and Marcy, an IP lawyer at her law firm, Vivid IP. Invincible Inc. is designed to be a one-stop shop for brand building and brand protection together, and it's certainly a new way of doing business in the branding space. So I want to welcome both Molly and Marcy to the program, and Molly, let's, let's start with you. Let's talk a little bit about your background and your unique approach and entrance into the branding industry.
1: Sure, and thanks, Josh, for, for having us today. Uh, how far back would you like to go, Berth? High school, college, <laughs> I blocked out middle school, so we can't start there.
0: There you go. So let, let, let's go back to the beginning of, of your jump into uh, branding. I know you come from a little bit of a, of a non-conventional background.
1: Yes. So I started out uh, in college. I did English. I did creative writing and literature. I graduated knowing that I wanted to use my very expensive degree in some kind of writing field. Uh, And that was 2008. So there weren't, you know, no one was really knocking down my door for, for any of those gigs. So what I ended up doing was an internship that got me into journalism. And by way of journalism, got into copywriting. Someone I wrote an article about really liked that article and asked me if I could write their website. Of course, I said, sure, I absolutely do that. I do that all the time. It was my first one. <laughs> I quickly found out that copywriting was much more lucrative and a lot more fun than for me than journalism. So sad but true. That kind of led me into marketing and kind of getting involved with freelancing with agencies. I got a, a gig uh, was a full-time, a full-time job. I, I'll call everything a gig. I got a full-time job at uh, a university as their communications coordinator and copywriter. So I really got heavily into the kind of the marketing side of things. And from there discovered Brand writing. So when we got away from the ad copy and the more marketing copy, and into the meat of, well, how do these companies figure out what they're going to say to their audiences from the get? Uh, What's their name? What's their tagline? What's their their core messaging around who they are, what they do, what is their story? That is the work I really love doing the most. And so when I saw an opportunity, I was looking at my freelance uh, book and saying, you know what? I bet I could make just as much, if not. More money and, uh, and had a lot more fun doing it if I went out on my own and started a, a branding business or at that time a copywriting business than I was doing at the uh, at the at the university. And my partner, uh, then boyfriend, now husband, was 100 percent supportive. So I gave, uh, I took my two weeks vacation. We went to Japan. Then I came back and promptly gave my two weeks notice. And then I started doing um, full time freelance and. Ended up working with a great agency here in Atlanta. I highly recommend getting someone else to pay you for your education by getting a, a job somewhere in something that you love. But missed it. So after about a year, I was like, you know, that's that's the life for me. Freelance all the way. I'm gonna build my own business and do my own thing. And M Dash is where it started and it grew into where I am today, which is Banner Day, which is the naming and branding company for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs.
0: So so let's talk about. Uh, Banner Day. So this is your brand. And obviously you had to come up with this name because this is what you do. And I'm sure it's a little nerve wracking to come up with a name for a branding company. So what is Banner Day and what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so that, it was a challenge, but it was a welcome challenge. Uh, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but if you knew me, you'd know I went through hundreds and hundreds of names probably before I landed on this one. We used the same uh, naming strategies and techniques that we would use when we were naming for a client. Um, we can go more into those later if you like, but essentially I knew what I wanted this name to feel like. I wanted it to capture this sense of joy and fun that I felt was really missing from a lot of agency work. Uh, when you work with agencies, you learn very quickly that for both client and uh, collaborator and teammate, it can be a stressful place. Uh, entrepreneurs have enough stress as it is. So I really, The the concept for Banner Day came from this idea of bringing joy and delight into a process uh, that can be nerve wracking for people who are really deserving. So small business owners were the clients I loved working with the most. So I really thought that Banner Day captured that instant feeling of joy and um, brightness. I love that the word banner, you know, kind of went to that idea of marketing, like hanging that flag, that banner over your whole business, like putting your story in print as it were, in one single, you know, a couple single strong words. Um, I also kind of liked that it sounded like a publishing company. Um, very, we're a words first branding company. So we're all about language and starting with the story. So the fact that Banner Day kind of reminded me of like Double Day, right? It kind of had that feeling of that it's been around for a while. So there was a lot to love about it. And one of those things was that it was um, when I worked with Marcy on getting it trademarked that it looked like it was going to go through with flying colors, which it did. That was a big one, too.
0: That's awesome. And so let's let's turn to Marcy. Now, Marcy, we are both lawyers and we tend to be the most boring profession on planet Earth but you are a very not boring lawyer. You just take one look at Vivid IP on your website and you see that you are clearly <laughs> doing things differently and that's really awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to Vivid IP, your law firm that you founded.
2: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having uh, me on the show today, Josh. Uh, so I do have to start back to where I'm from in childhood because it does shape my uh, love of what I do in property. And that is because I grew up in a suburb of Detroit and automotive innovation was critical to the economy there. In fact, my father is a prolific inventor. He was the CEO of a number of automotive supply companies. He actually invented the luggage cover for the trunk of vehicles and the lighted uh, sun visor in cars. So um, I had him as a role model, and I just loved finding ways to protect your creative expression of ideas. So I went to the University of Michigan. At that time, I wanted to be a marine biologist <laughs> <laughs> and uh, quickly found out after a summer at the Duke Marine Lab that that was a little bit more labor intensive that I wanted, learned a lot about dolphins, but. <laughs> Then switched to um, law because, you know, I grew up with two older brothers, fiercely competitive. I found that um, after the merciless teasing, I became very good at presenting arguments in a persuasive way. And so then that took me to Emory Law School, fell in love with Atlanta and stayed ever since and really decided that I wanted to work at the best, most esteemed law firm in town. And I did. After graduating from Emory, I was an associate at King and Spalding and did a lot of class action product liability lawsuits, gained tremendous experience in litigation field, but really found that I didn't find that as interesting. In law school, the two subjects that I absolutely adored and found the most fascinating were trademarks and copyrights. And so I was really looking for an opportunity to get into that field. And about a year into my practice of law, Womble Bond Dickinson, which is a huge international firm, they poached me. <laughs> Josh, you probably heard of them yep. too. And uh they had an opportunity to join the IP litigation team. And I focused really a lot on trademarks and copyrights, soft IEP. I don't have a technical background, but I have done some litigation in the patent arena. And uh after a you know, a number of years. I found that I really thrived at being a rainmaker. (laughs) In fact, Wamble Carlyle used to send me out on all of their client development meetings, conferences, because I had a knack for bringing in clients. I am a little bit of an extrovert. Um, I love a challenge, and I love interacting with people and talking to individuals like you today. This is something that I thrive on. So I decided to launch my own firm after that. I took a leap of faith. I said, why am I building up the brand of another firm? I'm a bit of a renegade. (laughs) Sometimes I really like to um, break through the norm. You can't do a lot of things without committees approving everything at big firms. And so five years ago, I launched Vivid IP as a solo, and now we're an eight all-women firm and growing.
0: Wow. So- by the way, one thing you mentioned, you probably didn't realize it maybe explains why I became a lawyer because I'm the youngest of five and I spent most of my life trying to argue my way out of problems. So maybe that's why I became yes. an attorney too. I never actually tuned into that. It's it, right. so that's, it's it's you learn new things every day. So it sounds like the 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 common theme I'm hearing with, with both of you is this emphasis on the brand. And Marcy, even within your law firm. Vivid IP. It's, this is not Sperry, yeah. Sperry and Associates, right? Vivid IP. So what is Vivid yeah. IP and what does that mean?
2: So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. I actually launched the firm as Sperry IP Law and it followed the traditional nomenclature of last name of the partner, um, you know, King and Spaulding, Morris Manning. And I realized after about a year that I really wanted to stand out from the competition and I wanted to essentially walk the talk. What we do is we protect the brands of creative enterprises and entrepreneurs. And it was important for me to have my own brand that could stand for the culture of my firm, the quality of our services. So I was driving one day and I was really racking my brain. I wanted something unique and bold. I'm a pretty... uh <laughs> Uh, kind of a um, firecracker, so I wanted something to kind of represent, you know, the fact that you know we are different and we are not your standard law firm. And one day I just remembered, I just thought of one of my favorite words is vivid, and that really embodies what we do because every creative enterprise or expression of something that you have created starts with a bold or vivid imagination or vivid idea. And in fact, we have two other taglines that we've also registered. Because we want to also, as a business, protect our brands. One is dare to dream. And I like that because I tell my sons, I have three sons all the time, like, take risks. You know, dare to follow your goals. And so that's something that I think embodies our firm. And what we dare to do is protect, you know, the unique expressions of creativity of our clients. The other is something that Molly, the brand genius that um, is my business partner, came up with. And it is, don't just make your mark, own it. And I really love that. You know, it's just not only like, you know, putting your flag in the sand to claim your identity, but protect it and own it. Coming to a billboard near you.
0: Coming to a billboard near you. It's, It's amazing, by the way, that even in this conversation, I already have, based upon the fact that I'm speaking to two branding experts in different areas, I already have a very clear vision of who you guys are based upon the words that you're using. I'm hearing delight. Daylight, joy, and bold and you know, vivid. These are and I already have this picture in my head, which really shows how powerful a brand can actually be. I, I will say maybe you guys should talk to Todd Stanton because Stanton law <laughs> is very boring. Maybe I shouldn't say that. They they sponsor this podcast. I shouldn't say that, right? We know a
1: team who might be able to help you with a naming and trademarking project.
0: I might have to put you in touch, but let's, let's talk about that team because you guys joined forces and that's unusual. Typically you have the branding guy, you have the lawyer protecting that brand and you guys saw an opportunity to join forces and kind of fill the gap in between. So I'll turn to you, Molly. Uh, How did that come about? How did you guys get together?
1: Well, it was. Um, I'm not great with dates, but I'm pretty sure I can double check this that it was 2018. Two things were kind of happening. One, I was in the midst of a, of a moment of change for my brand, I'd been doing messaging copywriting work uh, primarily under m-llc for several years at that point and i was starting to itch for something new i had been doing it i've been starting to see like where the market was going what kind of work i love doing the most what my clients were really coming to me for where the gaps and like white spaces were and like where something new might be made And I wanted to work with a team. I'd been, you know, subcontracting here and there, but I really wanted to step up and be over like a bigger team, reach more people, do a bigger, better job at branding because I had more people on my side and could step into more of that creative director role. So, with all that, we were getting more naming work. So, consequently, what happened was I was looking at the naming work. I was like, okay, I should trademark my name. I can't be a branding company, naming company out there with a non trademarked brand myself. So I went on LinkedIn and started searching around for a local attorney who did IP work. Uh, I liked the cut of Marcy's jib. She, w- I liked her style on LinkedIn. She looked like a natural fit. Um, I sent her a, I think it was my first ever LinkedIn mail message and just yeah. said, "Hey Marcy, here's who I am. I'm curious about trademarking services for my name, but also I've been noticing all these things about how traditionally creative and legal don't coordinate on this and my clients get stuck with names and they come to me because their first name didn't work because they didn't do a good enough due diligence and would you be open mm-hmm. to maybe even talking about what it might look like to create something where these two separate fields could could work together?" And Marcy was all over it. She invited me to dinner. We had a great dinner. And I think that was it. I think that was, we were just like, yep, let's do this. Sounds awesome. Yeah. It's like
0: a LinkedIn (laughs) love story.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Josh, I just want to add a little bit to that. It was so organic how it worked out and fortuitous because I actually, I get most of my creative ideas when I'm hiking or walking in nature. It's just how my mind works. And really just a little bit of time before Molly had reached out to me, I remember I was on this hike by this beautiful waterfall in North Carolina and I had this idea of why don't. Why doesn't my firm start coming up with these brands? We're always, you know, referring people out to agencies. How would we do that? We don't have a creative expert in-house. And so it was such an amazing, you know, concept and idea when I met with Molly. And uh, it's been so much fun ever since to pursue it. And just
0: ran from there. And Molly, would it be safe to say it sounds like it was Marcy's brand on LinkedIn that pulled you in?
1: So it was Marcy's personal brand. We, we teamed up her (laughs) professional brand, her company brand together. That was one of our early projects. Um, we actually worked together on getting her website to where it is today. And it was a pleasure.
0: Wow. So, so it's, it's incredibly powerful in terms of, you know, we don't often hear about LinkedIn matches made in heaven like that, but I guess it was fortuitous as you mentioned. So let's talk about this, this new joint venture, Invincible Inc. Um, and you mentioned already, Molly that this was that you had this idea of joining forces and Marcy that was kind of jumbling around in your head as well at the time how did it, how did the invincible inc and I'll turn to you, Marcy first, how did the invincible inc concept uh, come to play?
2: Sure. you know, I think we had a lot of brainstorming messages at first or meetings to talk about the idea. and so you know over time, uh, we said, why don't we offer our clients these revolutionary combination packages in the branding industry, whereby Molly, this creative expert, comes up with the names. And then once she has done a little bit of due diligence and she's done the naming creative process, which I'll let her explain in more detail, she does a better job than me. She brings them over to Vivid IP. And our bread and butter Vivid IP is clearing and registering protecting and enforcing our clients trademarks that's what we live and die for so I found a need in the industry right now you go to a marketing naming industry firm and they'll come up with the names and they'll send you out into the wilderness without legal protection and sometimes they don't even refer you to an attorney I mean that's where I get a lot of my business from in fact our you know marketing firms um, and unfortunately sometimes, they will find out much to their <laughs> disappointment that the mark that they paid for is not available. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Molly and I thought, why don't we combine this? And it's this one-stop shopping. You know exactly what, ahead of time how much it's going to cost. And uh, we're working together. So it's a lot more cost-effective and effective in terms of uh, efficiency in getting it cleared and registered.
0: And, and so you, you might have answered this already in in that, in that what you just said. But not all of And this might be obvious to you all but maybe not so obvious to me and to the listeners, but, and and Molly, I'll turn to you. Why is it better for an entrepreneur to go to folks like you who are doing this together as opposed to just going to the branding guy and getting their brand?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, it's better for our clients Because what they end up with is a swifter, meaning faster and more streamlined, uh, smoother, meaning less stressful, and uh, surer, meaning it's, it's more effective and efficient and ultimately reliable path to that registered brand. So as Marcy said, the traditional way of doing things is you pay a creative agency sometimes quite a high dollar amount to come up with creative ideas creative agencies will do some due diligence. Um, they might look at some like public USPTO sort of type registration records. They might do some Google searches, um, but they haven't really spent traditionally a lot of time looking at the IP side of things, understanding from a non-lawyer you know, standpoint, what goes into the legal decisions that are made and the legal, you know, the laws that are applied. So when we work with a client, we're getting a jump start on that because I've already you know trained my team on to use some of the same similar searches that uh, Marcy's team will use to, um, to understand why things get rejected as opposed to just seeing whether it comes up on the search or not and to really invest in making those micro decisions in the naming process that are ultimately going to give you a brand name or mark that are more likely to pass registration the first time through. So that's really our goal is we don't want so many of um, Marcy's clients will come to her with something that they've come up with and there's a lot of spin. They'll they'll try to get it through. It, It comes back. It's rejected. They try another one. They try another one. Each of these attempts costs money and time and energy. Uh, so when they come to Invincible Inc. and they work with a creative expert from the get-go, you're not only saving your team's time, money and energy and stress, but you're getting an expert who's already gonna eliminate a lot of those red flag and roadblock moments that are gonna happen to the average person or company who's looking who's looking to do that. So that's that's one of the great things I think about the way that we've partnered together is like we really are a seamless kind of one-two-two partnership and we're in communication the entire time.
2: Not all trademarks are created equal. I can't tell you, Josh, how many clients come to us. And unfortunately, they're trying to do it on their own. And I understand, you know, everybody thinks they're creative, but they come to me and initially I think, oh my God, that's a terrible trademark. I can't say that, (laughs) but um, I have to kind of explain legally why it doesn't work. So the more descriptive the mark is, you know, a lot of people say that's a banking company or banking industry and they come up with something that has the word financial services of America. That's not protectable right. because it directly describes your services. Also, it's an awful trademark because you're not going to stand apart from the competition. You're going to blend in, and so now is the time to pick something that's unique, distinctive, and creative. And that's where Molly can come in instead of them having to go back to the drawing board over and over, um, and you know trying to understand what is distinctive in terms of branding.
0: Right. So it's, yeah. and it sounds like Molly, you working with Marcy has opened you up to the ability, and you've learned. You've learned. What's important from the legal side. Marcy, I'm curious what you've learned from working with Molly about how folks can create what y'all call fiercely original brands.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've learned so much from Molly and it's about her creative process really. And she has an extensive, you know, questionnaire and an initial session with her clients. So what Molly does is she really gets to know what is the heart of their business? What is the message they want to present? And so when I have clients come to me and, you know, right now we they didn't have this until recently, Invincible Links um Combination packages. Um, I have actually incorporated my advice. A lot of it is creative um, related because of what Molly has taught me. Because again, I want my clients to pick something that's protectable but also marketable, and that's where Molly comes in. You know, how are they going to stand apart and really, you know, own this area of commerce that they want to uh, take take grasp of.
0: So, and and to. Say another catchphrase out there. It's better together, right? That's a brand. Yeah. There you go. So, so Molly, talk a little bit about why it's so important for an entrepreneur to have a standout brand. What does a standout brand do for an entrepreneurial business?
1: Sure. Well, when you say why is it important to have a standout brand, uh, I immediately go to what are the pitfalls if you if you don't have a standout brand? But I had some notes here. Let me just take a quick peek. Because I I had something really good that I liked earlier and I want to make sure I say it.
0: Don't worry. We're going to cut this little piece off so you can, so you can, uh, or or I'll tell her to leave leave it
1: in. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, I would say that what is so important about building a standout brand as an entrepreneurial business is because it gives you that firm foundation to build on from the very beginning. So you want to start with confidence and, and the legal standing to say that how you're presenting yourself to the world is authentic and is original. So you can start investing in your name, your logo, et cetera, not just as a creative asset, but as an actual IP asset, which has value in itself. So it's magnifying the value of your brand from the beginning, even if you're, even if you're just starting out.
0: So, so when, when someone comes to work with, with you guys, and I want to get more deeply into the lesson learned from what I'm hearing here, which is all the things you have learned from each other and have created this incredible partnership and how that can help other people create their partnerships, but before we get there, I'm just curious when an entrepreneur comes into either one of your doors and says, I need a new brand or I or I wanna I'm starting a business and I need to figure out exactly how to position myself. Just from a, a very brief standpoint, how does that process work when working with both of you together? What is what is the flow?
1: Yeah, so you start, uh, we start with the creative side. So whether if it comes through Marcy, she'll have an opportunity to to talk to her client and say, hey, you know, I noticed, for example, you've been sending me a lot of marks, we've been looking at these, they don't seem to be working. So let me refer you. Uh, Or we'll get even ahead of it and say, we have these packages from you know, you're looking for a mark, we have this offering to give you but we start with the creative side because you need a mark before you can trademark one. So when um, it comes to my team, what we do is like Marcy said, we start with, uh, we have a couple of different questionnaires we use depending on you know the nature of the, the project, but we'll start by gathering that key information. We need to know what's in your head and what's in your background as a business, because the goal of naming is to really kind of get below the surface level and to understand what are those kind of little sparks of inspiration or those little nuances that we can draw on to create something that's really unique and original to your brand. So we'll start with a questionnaire. We'll follow that with a listening session where we sometimes my clients call this a brand therapy session where we get on the phone and we talk all about your brand. We go through your questionnaire. Um, I do most of the listening, hence the kind of the name of that. That's Again, this is absorbing information for our team to go back and then start using to generate names. And then that's what we'll do. We'll say we have what we need to get started. We'll go generate names. We have a series of different processes that we use to make sure that we're not throwing spaghetti at a wall, which is what you'll see at a, at a lot of ages. There are a lot of um, even internal naming processes, but we have tried and tested and personally proven several techniques that work really well for us and our clients. We'll bring you a first round of names. You'll usually most of the time the, the name that we like the best is in that first round. We'll always tell you which one we think is the best in terms of not just the marketability, but the trademarkability, because we run those initial searches to red flag anything, meaning if it looks like it has a registration and a similar, uh, similar word mark on the USPTO, we'll tell you and we say we don't recommend it. Or if we're Googling and we see, ooh, this looks really close, it might be common law, because there's, in my opinion, there's lots of names and ideas out there you can always come up with something new and original to yourself. You don't always have to kind of fight for this one sticky name that happens to be maybe or may not may not be taken by somebody else. Uh, so once we land on a name, we pass that to Marcy's team, and then she rolls with the legal side. I'll let her jump in and explain that. Yeah,
2: absolutely, Molly. Thank you so much. I first wanted to go back a little bit about, you know, trademarks in general, there's three main types that businesses should consider when they come to Molly and she can help and her team with all three. One is the word mark. So I'm going to pick my favorite brand, which is Nike. So Nike is the word mark. Uh, The second is the logo. So the Nike swoosh and the Nike stylized version, that's the logo. And then third is a tagline, Uh, just do it, which is my favorite (laughs) tagline of all time. It's so competitive and compelling. And so we can help with all three of those, which most businesses need from the get go. What we do is we do a professional legal trademark comprehensive search. What does that mean? I have so many clients that come to me and say, Oh, I looked on Google or I ran a search on the USPTO. Completely insufficient. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a good idea as an initial knockout search. Um, And Molly does something more in depth than that. That's why her marks are more likely to clear the legal searches. But we have to do what's called a comprehensive search. And it looks at not only the USPTO for similar marks. Uh, in similar um, fields of goods and services, but also what are called common law marks that Molly mentioned. That's an unregistered mark. In the U.S., you can have trademark rights simply by using your mark in commerce. However, those rights are far more limited. That's why you want to obtain a federal registration. Once we clear the trademark and we identify it's a low risk or medium risk, but we think we have arguments to overcome any issues, we will file a trademark application with the USPTO. That registration entitles you to nationwide rights even if you're not using the mark across all states and it allows you to stop somebody from applying or using the mark in any state it allows you to sue in federal court it allows you to obtain statutory damages which can be treble damages in cases of willful infringement and it allows me to enforce your mark more easily because if i can send a cease and desist letter and right away say we have a federal registration let me tell you that gets their attention Uh, so uh it's it provides a, a number of um, benefits, including yep. using that coveted R in the circle that puts parties on notice of your rights. And then Molly touched on this before. People don't realize intellectual property is the core of your business in terms of your assets. You know, you look at um, Apple, one of the top um, brands in terms of valuation; it's billions of dollars. So you know, your business, if you ever want to sell it or license your trademark, uh, you need the purchasers of those rights are going to want to see that you've registered them, protected them. So that's essentially where we come in and help.
0: So lawyers are like really, really good at scaring the hell out of people, no? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so that's not the job? That's not the job. Yeah. They don't, they, they don't well, give you an exam on they that? Are.
2: <laughs> they are. But you know, this is, this is one thing about Vivid and one of the reasons I actually formed my own firm is because most firms, a lot of big law, all they do is identify, this is the risk, this is the risk. And I'm an entrepreneur and a business owner. And guess what? You have got to take on risks right. if you want to be successful. So not only do we identify risk, but then we say, what is your risk tolerance? If it's a medium risk, I will tell them, yes, it's a medium risk. But guess what? We think we have a strong likelihood of overcoming any type of uh, challenge or refusal from the trademark office. And here's why, you know, um, because when you look at trademark infringement, and that's essentially what we're assessing when we are looking at these searches, is are the marks similar in sound appearance and commercial impression and meaning and are the services and the goods related they need not be identical um, you look at the target channels of trade and customers as well but it's really the similarities in the marks and services and um, you know based on our expertise we can advise you if we have arguments to potentially overcome it
1: that was something I appreciated about Marcy from the very beginning when we were working on my original uh, trademark application, which, you know, for, for M Dash, she gave me a medium risk and came back and told me exactly why it was medium risk and why she didn't think it was um, a great mark to pursue. And I was half out of M-dash and into like future uh, evolution anyway. So I was use that as like impetus to start, you know, a search for a new name. But Banner Day came back medium risk too. But the reasons behind the medium risk were different. And Marcy flat out told me, hey, as an entrepreneur, if I was registering this mark, I would feel comfortable taking these risks. It's up to what you are, are comfortable taking. So I think that's a really great point is it's not about a yes or no, um, you know, red yeah. flag, green flag, yellow flag. Um, do we try to get the most low risk marks before we even yeah. go through? Absolutely. But if they come back medium risk, I know that Marcy is going to be able to tell you exactly why it's medium risk. And it's ultimately mm-hmm. up to the entrepreneur, up to the client to decide, do they want to take that risk? Cause the decider is going to be that examining attorney at the USPTO. Mm -hmm. We think about this as if if you walked into a courtroom and you were sitting before a judge, you can have an incredible lawyer, you can have a great uh, team behind you, you can have everything prepared, but ultimately it's up to that judge. So our job is to make it as likely as possible that the examining attorney sees what we see in the mark and sees that it's worthy of registration.
0: And I think that's a fundamental difference, uh, Marcy, for sure, between what I call an entrepreneurial lawyer versus just your run-of-the-mill attorney and this is like a soapbox of mine which you already know marcy but but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, you know it's it, it, we have to recognize that different clients and different entrepreneurs and different businesses have different levels of risk tolerance and even in the work that i do which uh, you know again i'm getting on my soapbox here myself but as an employment yeah. lawyer even in the work that i do different clients have different risk tolerances and our job is to educate right. folks and recognize that some people are not willing to take on medium risk some people are yes and some people for some people the value of their mark for example, in your situation or in my situation, the value of an employee or the value of some other cultural or entrepreneurial value that's driving the business is more important to them than just the legal technicalities that the attorneys see. And sometimes the attorneys are unable to get beyond that and to help the clients recognize there's more than just Right or wrong, yes or no, you know every single situation is different, and you have to be what be the uh, with the client wherever they are mm-hmm. and educate them so that they can make the best decisions. Like any other business risk that a person takes on, every time we do something, there's a risk involved, and it's not just so black yeah. and white. So you're hitting like a major soapbox of mine in terms of the way that I like to practice, and that's why Marcy and I certainly you know see eye to eye on that.
2: That's right. So
0: it's it's just a whole different ball game, and it's so frustrating it really to me is. when I hear. <laughs> (laughs) the complications that so many attorneys give people because they're not willing to get out of their (sighs) ivory towers. Okay.
2: (laughs) Gosh, quick, quick, quick side note on that. It is so um, entrenched in big law that you just say, this is a risk. This is a risk. Um, my brother is also an entrepreneur, and he is a LASIK surgeon. And he came up with this ophthalmology software that's revolutionizing LASIK surgery. And he has all this team of attorneys, you know, of every regulation that's going to get in the way. And you know, they said, "Well, there's 25 obstacles here." He's like, "Okay, well, what are the actual risks here? You know, what's going to happen if I don't satisfy you know what you're saying for each one?" And so. He's really trying to ask his attorneys to work with him a little bit.
0: Yeah. Someone asked me one time, what's the difference between working with you and working with the attorneys that they had at their previous term? I'm not going to say which one I said. There's a difference between some attorneys are problem makers and some are problem solvers. And you, yes. you gotta find a problem solver. And not someone who's gonna tell you all the obstacles that get in the way, but someone who's going to help you resolve those obstacles and find a and, and basically take like a, you know, hot butter, hot knife to butter and break through it and figure it out. And sometimes the answer is don't do it. Right. But then just tell me, don't do it. Absolutely. (laughs) Right.
2: So there's a, there's a philosophy on my team. Everyone who works with me knows about this. Um, If you identify, oh my goodness, there's a problem or there's a mistake. Never come to me just identifying the problem. Always propose a solution. I don't care if it's a solution we don't take, but I want you to think it through and come with some proposed solutions and I'll help you. I'll do everything I can, but I need you to start thinking in ways that we can resolve it.
0: Yeah, totally. So, so we kind of went off on a tangent there because this is a passion subject of both Marcy and my own, but I want to well, change- I can
1: flip it. Yeah, yeah I go- that thought when you were talking about- <laughs> So problem solving. So one of the things, and really Invincible Inc. came about because we had identified, both Marcy and I separately, and then together as a team, had identified a challenge, a problem that needed to be solved. Creative and legal don't talk to each other in naming and um, branding projects. And that creates these, you know, waterfall problems. So not only the packages are one of the ways we solve it, but we've also really gone out on a limb and created what we call our partnership promise. And so this is something that we put a lot of thought into. And I think it's something that probably a lot of uh, neither agencies nor law firms are, are often are going to do for you. But we felt comfortable doing it because we are competent in, in, in our work together and in our effectiveness as a team. And essentially, if you hire us, if you hire Invincible Inc. for a full naming project or a full, so it has to be a certain level of work. But we basically make a promise to you that we will continue working with you at no extra cost beyond that original flat fee until you have a registered mark for your brand. Now that doesn't mean it's the first mark, because like you said, sometimes it's, it ends up being super high risk and we have to say, We're, let's go back to the drawing board. But the way we do our process is, Marsh and I will keep going back, repeating our process, and no additional cost until you end up with that registered mark, and a strong registered mark that's not just legally ownable, but that is creatively powerful and marketable as well.
0: Well, that you have to have a lot of confidence in in your process in order to be able to to do that. And your partner, of course. And so, let's talk yes. about partners. Okay. So, and and uh, for folks that are listening to this and thinking about the fact, well, these these folks got lucky, right? They got a little, happened to find (laughs) something on LinkedIn and they match made in heaven. It worked out. It was a perfect match and it was so wonderful and everything like that. I'm sure there were some hiccups along the way and I'm sure it's not as simple as that. So I want to understand, you know, Molly, you're the one who initiated uh, this uh, partnership by reaching out to to Marcy on LinkedIn. And let's talk a little bit about finding the right partners. No matter what someone is trying to do in terms of business, whether you had y'all's idea that you were trying to accomplish, but there are many different people who are looking to solve a problem and don't necessarily know how, or don't have all the tools in their toolkit to do that. And they need partners to get there. So, uh, so Molly, how did you, how did you know Marcy was the right partner? What were the things that you were looking for?
1: So I was initially looking for someone who looked like, based on things like their LinkedIn profile, their website at the time, I was looking for someone who looked like they might have similar values to what I might have, or at least in terms of how it would affect my trademarking, right? So I wanted somebody who looked like uh, they were really passionate about what they had to do. I was looking for ideally a non-traditional lawyer of some kind, uh, somebody who wasn't afraid to be a little bolder, take a few risks, throw some creative solutions at me. Um, And Marcy's profile really kind of showed me that. And also I'll be frank and say that I was excited about maybe partnering with a woman uh, and working with a fellow uh, female entrepreneur. So that was kind of the first level. It's like, you know, do I see enough similarities in the right places? Because I think differences are important too. But do I see enough similarities in the right places that I want to start a conversation? And then the conversation is really the key part. I don't think a conversation costs us very much, but it can really earn you a lot in business and in life. So that first conversation that we had was uh, just one for the books. It was easy. It was seamless. As Marcy said, it was super organic. Uh, I, she got major points for me from the fact that she said, let's go have dinner and talk about it instead Mm, of let's have a zoom call. This was, this was pre pandemic (laughs) by a few years. So I should mention that. Um, but yeah, the, her openness, her willingness to, um, to brainstorm right out of the gate. These are all things that I really admired and that I also sought to kind of put forward in my own professional work. So it just felt like a good match from the beginning. So I would say, you know, do your homework first, have the conversation, have an authentic, honest conversation, ideally, you know, face-to-face is best. Uh, And then, you know, be, be willing to ask questions. And and trust your gut. I mean, if it you know, it's one of those things that, you know, entrepreneur being an entrepreneur is, um, is an education all all in itself. I think we all learn that you have to trust your gut at some point, no matter how much research you do beforehand. So that's really what sealed it for me was like, it felt like it was going to be a good partnership. And I had confidence in her and my mutual ability to turn it into what we wanted it to become.
0: And so, Marcy, so you get this random LinkedIn uh, message, private message or LinkedIn mail, which I don't know, maybe this was before the age of all the bots that we're all getting on LinkedIn now that are like, you know, it's all the same profile picture telling me that they can fund all my litigation. I'm like, I don't even know what I do. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, and, and Molly reaches out to you and you get this this LinkedIn mail from her. What were the. This is obviously a new idea, but what were the values and what were the things that you were seeing, which you would, which you would recommend are the things that a person should be looking for when looking for their own partners?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Well, I also looked at her uh, profile and her website, and that's why I always tell everyone on my team, you are your own brand. Not only is it Vivid IP, but Marcy Sperry is a brand in and of itself. And I took a lot of time to cultivate and present myself to represent that brand. And I saw that Molly had a lot of the values and the vision that I thought would be tremendously exciting in terms of a partnership. In addition, I think it's important when you're looking at a partner to find somebody that has some of the traits that might embody your weaknesses, you know, and so that you are the yin to each other's yang, if so to speak. Um, And Molly has a more creative outlook. Um, I have business big picture. Sometimes I'm a little bit too much of a risk taker and Molly can kind of like pull me back in a little bit. Like, so she knows about that, especially when we are coming up with some of the bold (laughs) imaging for our website, which is really exciting that we're going to talk about and share some of the color schemes. But you know having similar visions and passion is so critical and then having characteristics that can kind of even each other out is also important Compliments. So, yeah
0: co- complementary characteristics yes. mm-hmm. as, but sharing the the broader mission and vision yes. that you can that can bind you together so you know, and you don't have to get into any specific details if you don't want to, but I'd love if you did, um, you know, with permission, uh, I would love to hear yeah. it when you're bringing two people together who have, you know, one's that got this creative energy, you know, you're the, the, the big picture thinker and going back and forth. I'm sure there have been challenges or disagreements or areas where, uh, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. Yeah. If you're willing to talk a little bit about how you You've dealt with some of those challenges along the way and maybe resolved some differences if you've had any. I imagine that it wasn't all the honeymoon. and and what what is the methodology yeah. that a person should use when they find that partner that complements them? because again, complimenting you means you're gonna they're gonna make you uncomfortable sometimes and unco- discomfort makes you grow. Um and so how do we yeah. resolve those differences and the challenges that come about when we forge a partnership?
2: I want to say, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, what I really admire also about Molly is her business acumen in terms of, keeping us on point in terms of milestones and she's very detailed and I am not, I don't think that way. Again, I'm like, I tell everybody, even my son's bottom line it for me. (laughs) You know, I I like to make decisions quickly. That's why I'm a very effective um, business owner and entrepreneur. However, the way I've resolved that is I have a team that helps me um, stay in check with trying to meet those deadlines and helping us uh, revise, you know, pricing sheets or websites. Um, I I tend to delegate to people who have those strengths. Um, So that's one thing that I have, worked on to address that dissimilarity in our approaches because um, I want to make sure I'm also meeting those milestones and I'm grateful for her attention to detail
0: Molly what about what about you
1: yeah. I would, I think what I'm hearing Marcy say is that I'm, I like to be more of the shaper side of things. I'm there like, let me, yeah. let me see what, what are the outlines of this thing? How do we build it? You know, I, I can get very detail oriented because to me that all those things are connected. The details lead up to the mm-hmm. big picture. So it, it does come out to be a complementary relationship. Um, but I think one of the things that we both kind of, were challenged by and leaned on each other to, to kind of figure out and get through was the original kind of like setting up the business legally Um, that, you know, even though Marcy is a, an attorney, she's not a business law attorney. Um, mm-hmm. I have, you know, worked with attorneys, I've written contracts and things like that, but I'm also, you know, not a business attorney. So we, again, looked out to another expert to bring that in. So just how Marcy leans on her, her team, I lean on my Banner Day team, we lean on our, um, our kind of like extended team of advisors and folks like that. The, the fact that we're partners really comes from, I think, a shared sense that we are both willing, when we don't know the answer, We'll go find yeah. the person who has the answer. And we don't have any yes. ego about that. Um, so I think that while we're both very proud of what we do, we also know our strengths. We also know uh, where we might stumble a little bit. And both of us are equally quick to raise a hand and say, that's not my area or that's not for mm-hmm. me um, and to help each other fill in those gaps. So I haven't yet had a major moment where, Marcy, it's, where it's taken more than just like a quick text or a phone call to clarify, um, wait, did you want this? Do you want that? Um, you know, it's, there's not been and and again, we are pre-launch, right? We haven't officially made Invincible Inc. Like widely launched to the world. It's up and running on a soft launch standpoint, but we've got many years of this ahead of us. (laughs) So who knows what'll happen down the road. But, um, one of the great things about our partnership, I think is we've already kind of proven ourselves to be very natural uh, and respectful, um, collaborators. Uh, we have a lot of trust in each other's abilities and strengths. And I think if you can start there, if you can start in like at the core, do I believe that Marcy Sperry is going to have my back and that she is going to hold up her end of the deal? And then if we hit a rocky part of our relationship, we're both going to work just as hard to get through it. Yes. And that's that's what I think that you need to be looking for um, in a partner because the rest of the stuff you can solve together.
2: Yeah. hundred percent
0: agree with that. And it sounds like it's a baseline of trust. A uh, recognition that, and that, yeah. and that you build over time. Cause again, this was, this was not a long-standing relationship that you had for years and years and years. And then you came up with this, this idea. So I'm curious in terms of how do y'all feel you built that trust between yourselves? Ooh,
2: that's a good uh, question. I think I would say, um, it would, it developed over time. You know, um, it does take time to build trust and, uh, we, you conducted the research together and we'd have more meetings together. And uh, now we have quarterly in-person meetings. And um I brought in my team to see how we could assist with moving forward with building the platforms. And so I think time <laughs> is an important factor in that. You can't just rush trust. Um I consider Molly also a dear friend, you know. Um I've been able to talk to her about personal matters and you know I trust her. Uh so it it does take time and I think it takes an investment mm-hmm. of that time. You have to both Want to um, forge ahead and uh, build a rapport uh, so that you can have a, a strong foundation.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that too um, that vulnerability is a huge and honesty is a huge kind of path into trust. Uh, when you're willing to be, you know, vulnerable with somebody, to be authentic, to say, "Hey, I'm struggling with this," or "Hey, I've, I'm I'm really not seeing a way through," or even outside of work, like Marcy said, personally, "Oh, I'm having a really rough time." Personally, right now, being able to have those conversations uh, in a way that feels mutual, that feels like you're being heard and you're being seen and respected for who you are and that you're your shining image of being the badass branding, legal, you know, knock them out, maybe that is not tarnished, but rather like enhanced by the fact that you also have Mm -hmm. these weaknesses and that you also stumble now and then. Um, I think that's important. I think you want to work with people who not just know your weaknesses or accept your weaknesses, but, you know, actively like embrace your weaknesses and, you know, Mm -hmm. don't count them against you.
0: That's incredible. And you know, yes. one of the things that amazes me, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast. And when I ask questions about what made them successful or what, it always comes down to personal growth. It always comes down to things that you would not always traditionally associate with business acumen. It comes down to this personal, to trust, to vulnerability, to authenticity, to to character. Uh, those are the things that I keep hearing over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. it always comes back to that. And so that's that's incredibly powerful. Uh, and it's not necessarily what people would think are the things that make a great business leader. And and that's just amazing. So if you're if you have a listener who's thinking of hearing this and think, wow, this is a mat- match made in heaven and this is so wonderful. But I'm I've got this problem in my, on my plate that I'm looking for a partner. What would you tell the founders out there who are looking for people to to help them launch their dreams? What should they be thinking when they're looking for the right partners?
2: How do we encourage them to dare to dream, Marcy? Okay. I dare a to dream. Point. I love I it. I have a couple. <laughs> yeah, dare to dream. I have a couple ideas on that. And I think it's important to always be building your network. And that's something I teach my um, associates because I want them to also develop their own clients. And so, whether it's having a lunch once a week, going to coffee every other day, um, calling a classmate from college, uh, you never know if these people are going to become your clients or your business partners. Also, uh, Talking to a consultant, um, Alvaro Oras with 3A is my consultant. He has been since I lodged the firm. He's tremendously talented and he knows every boutique firm in Atlanta. And he has been invaluable in providing me with referrals and helping me build my network. And that's another area I would say is to work with a consultant or an expert in your field and finally, um, I think it's been invaluable for me to have a mentor. Um, when I was at Womble, uh, Kirk Watkins, who I think is one of the best litigators in Atlanta, he was my supervising partner, and I have stayed in touch with him even when I left Womble, uh, you know, six years ago, and he retired. Semi-retired, and I brought him in as co-counsel to two of my cases. So, you know, those are three areas where I think you can look for partners. Um, that's personally speaking.
0: Anything to add to that, Molly?
2: Yeah. If the question is,
1: um, we're looking at an entrepreneur who thinks, you know, I need a partner, I almost want to take a step back and say, well, what are you, what's the vision, right? So mm-hmm. rather than looking for a partner, almost like you're putting the cart for the, ho- the before the horse a little bit. So what are you trying to achieve? So really, I would say, take care of your ideas, nurture your vision, really spend some personal time fleshing out. What is the meat of this? What's the core of this? What's the heart of the idea? What am I trying to achieve for whom and why? And then you can go about looking for a partner who shares some of those things. And together you figure out the how. So I think if you start with your why, you are starting with the understanding that X, Y, Z is important to you. You know, why is it important to you? And if you can identify that and somebody else has that same or similar vision, then you follow that and you can end up with a partnership that that ends up being like, like Marcy's and mine.
0: Unbelievable. And this is like, it's so inspiring to me. I, I'm feeling very small right now um, <laughs> because you guys are just awesome. And, you know, it's just, it's just so moving and so inspiring to see people, like you said, daring to dream and accomplishing those dreams. So before we close out, this is final question. I always like to ask my, my uh, guests when they come on, um, this has been there, do this podcast. I'm not going to ask your opinion about my brand of my podcast and the name, because that's like making me feel very awkward like over here, but okay, do good. Too. Thank yes. you. You want to trademark it for me? Um <laughs> yeah. We, we should.
2: You need to. Oh, will have to. One hundred percent. You know well, you can't do well, that I in
0: front to. of
1: her. She's gonna jump on it.
0: Uh, oh gosh, oh man. Oh boy. Okay. So we'll talk later. Um, yeah. So if, if I always ask, been there, do this. You've been there. You've been doing this for a long time. And you go back to yourself at uh, five years ago, ten years ago, and you can give yourself one lesson. Uh, what would it be? And I'm gonna start with you, Marcy.
2: Take more risks. And I say to my sons is, do something that scares you at least once a week. And that's how you learn is through failure. Um, One of my favorite quotes is by the hockey great Wayne Gretzky. You miss 100% of shots that you don't take. So Mm. go for the gold.
0: Amazing. And Molly?
2: Yeah,
1: mine's actually similar. Uh, My advice to little Molly would be, um, don't be afraid to build the business that you want to run. I think a lot of uh, hesitation and a lot of um, foot dragging and a lot of uncertainty in my early uh, kind of entrepreneurial phase came from this idea of like, oh, well, this is how you build a business. Here's the blueprint. You know, you have to scale at this degree and you have to make this much money and grow this much year over year. You have to get an investor and you have to do. And so I didn't none of that appealed to me. That wasn't in alignment with the kind of business that I wanted to build. So I would say don't be afraid to go rogue get a partner if you want some help. Um, But really sit down and and think about the kind of business you want to run, why you want to run it that way, and then then build it. And people will come Um, and people will be inspired because there's a lot of different people out there. There's not one, one right way to build a business. And the world would be a better place if we all kind of put our own unique spin on entrepreneurship and shared it with the world.
0: Well, you definitely both inspire me and it's always incredibly inspiring for me to bring amazing people on this podcast. So I want to thank both of you for your time today and for taking the time to sharing your wisdom and your experience with our listeners. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm really excited to see as this grows and this partnership becomes something that can truly change the way that people approach the entire industry. So thank We're you.
1: We're counting on it. Absolutely. Go in bits blank. Thank
2: you.
0: <laughs> thank you both. Thank you for listening to the Been There, Do This podcast. I am your host, Josh Joel. If you'd like to reach out to me, check out www.joshjoel.com and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn. If you think this is as important as we do, please be sure to share this episode with your friends and leave us a great review wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, we thank you for your support and look forward to seeing you next time.